My name's Red, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Decepticons, transform and rise up! Calling Autobots! Calling Autobots! This is a battle protocol! Robots with emotions. Robots who can die. Hey guys, welcome back to another Transformerific episode of Fanholes, Transformers Tuesdays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm joined tonight by one of my fellow Fanholes. Why don't you give a shout out? Yo, Joe! Uh, it's Mike. So, as you may or may not have guessed by Mike's exclamative... We are actually going to be discussing the ongoing comic book series that started in mid-2014, titled Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. This is a comic that's published by IDW. It was originally released as a zero issue on Free Comic Book Day. That's how they got everybody hooked on the series. And then after that point, as of this recording, there are about four issues out, and that's going to be collected in the first trade. So me and Mike were kind of wanting to talk about this comic book series. We probably won't go into blow-by-blow descriptions of each of the individual issues, but just to sort of give you a brief overview of what the series is about, obviously the title kind of gives it away. It is, in essence, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, but it's actually very stylized and artistic since it's done by a gentleman named Tom Scioli and John Barber. And of course, most Transformers fans are probably familiar with John Barber at this point, but maybe many Transformers fans aren't familiar with Tom Scioli. And he's got a very stylized art style. I mean, there's, there's very obvious Jack Kirby influences in the way he draws, but actually there's, there's lots of, uh, sort of little addendums, and they it's funny, both of them actually do sort of blow-by-blow, page-by-page commentary of their own comics at the close of each issue. So if you're jonesing for stuff like that, you, you may actually want to check out the comic books and read their little commentary in the backup where they go page-by-page and kind of break down like what they were thinking and what some of their influences were. But speaking of that, uh, along with Jack Kirby as a major influence for Scioli, he also points to guys like Jim Steranko and Frank Miller, and so so there's 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 different vibes you may get that probably people who are strictly fans of say Transformers or strictly fans of GI Joe they they may not have been exposed to that kind of art style before. So I, I'm sure I, I mean I'm guessing I don't know Mike. What, like, is it fairly divisive, like, th- this kind of series? Like, are there people who love it and people who hate it? Is that kind of how it's playing out? Yeah, I would definitely say that's how it's playing out. There are people who, like, you know, think this is, like, the best thing that IDW's putting out. And there are people who are like, you know, what is this, like, poorly drawn, like, children's crap or whatever? Right, know? right, right. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, like, I, I'm not going to defend, uh, like, the, the kind of 
uninformed, I guess. But, I mean, just to be fair, I mean, you know, we're both, uh, I mean, we're not the same age, you know, obviously I'm a little older than you, but I mean, we're, we're both older and mature in the sense that we can appreciate you know, what the artist is going for and we can see his influences and kind of appreciate, you know, like maybe say, for example, how much storytelling he can get crammed into a single page. But then there's other folks maybe who might view it, like you're saying, as like, you know, quote unquote, poorly drawn, quote unquote, children's, you know, scribbles. Or, or like, maybe dated. Yeah, yeah. Well, they would you know, how, however they sort of view it, you know, like that, because he's, he's he's evoking something that is is older. I mean, it's not like Jack Kirby is you know currently alive and you know drawing comics or whatever. But I mean, his his influence and his style is is unrecognizably you know important, whether people acknowledge that or not. What, what are you what what are you talking about? Jack Kirby's the king. He's like Elvis. He's there's Jack Kirby sightings everywhere. He, like, there, you know, there, are, could, there are. There are. You can go to Vegas and get married by Jack uh, Jack Kirby impersonator. Nice. I would do that. I'd go to. Well, I don't know if I go to Vegas. I don't like Vegas, but I'd go to like Comic Con and get married by a Jack Kirby impersonator. <laughs> uh, I guess what my point was was that. We've all been there, though, at some point or another. I mean, you, you kind of have to look at it. I mean, I, I'm just imagining maybe from the people that are younger or, or let's say, less informed. I mean, you, you were juvenile at a certain point in your life where, I, you know, I remember looking at, like, early Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby when I first got into comics, and I was, like, you know, 10 or 11. And, you know, you had that reaction of, oh, this is old, it's not cool, like... Todd McFarlane drawing big eyes and, you know, you know, big giant webbing and all this other stuff. And you were kind of, you know, like, basically, it's kind of how you like laugh at your young, dumb self. You know, you're like, oh, I was stupid, you know, <laughs> so I didn't know any better. But it's like, I, you know, I, I, I guess I can forgive that if, if it's part of somebody's evolution. I mean, maybe this is, you know, maybe they'll look back on this later and kind of go, oh, I was kind of silly. Like, I didn't appreciate you know, all the work and effort that was put into this series. Because it does seem like, it does seem like it, it, it's it's in its own continuity. You know, they, they start you, you know, from the beginning pretty much. But a lot like Jack Kirby's work, and, and in some ways a lot like Grant Morrison trying to, uh, I guess, use that influence of Jack Kirby as well. It's like there's lots of frenetic things. Like, it, it's just... There's so much storytelling crammed into a single issue. If you enjoy Brian Michael Bendis, like in everything to be written for the trade and to be padded out and long and lots of dialogue and conversations, I don't think this would be the comic book for you. But I mean, if you just enjoy all kinds of crazy spectacle and, you know, the, the ability to sort of cram as much into a single page as possible. Like, uh, I think you'd find a great deal of appreciation in in reading this series, because there are certain layouts where even they mention it when they have their commentary. Like, for example, in the first issue, it's a battle between Cobra and G.I. Joe, ostensibly, but it begins with, like, Bumblebee on the run from Starscream in outer space, and by the time they finish their chase, 
bumblebees like flown over the moon and you see like the little flag that was planted on the moon so it's like you you now have your bearings it's like you were in outer space you were with cybertronians and now all of a sudden they're invading earth's atmosphere in their airspace and they somehow smack dab right into the middle of a full-on you know cobra versus gi joe engagement and from there, you're basically introduced to, like, all these different characters. And it's kind of cool. Like, I, I guess one of the things that maybe, you know, G.I. Joe fandom might be in an outrage about is uh, when you first start, um, you've got Hawk, Snake Eyes, and Duke. And Duke and Snake Eyes are both flirting to the max with Scarlet in the middle of this sort of war zone. But they're both, you know, Snake Eyes can talk, and his face is... You know, uh, you know, as he started out in the original comics, you know, uh, a young, you know, good looking blonde guy who is, you know, basically a badass, you know. And so there, there's that element to it where I suppose if you were a G.I. Joe, you know, quote unquote purist, you know, you'd be like, hey, that guy's supposed <laughs> to be scarred, you know, like uh, yeah. So. Like, honestly, like, when that first Zero issue came out and people, like, I honestly did see people complaining about that. And I, I like, I was kind of mystified because I was kind of like, well, you don't, like, discount, like, Wolverine stories where he doesn't have his adamantium yet, do you? You know, like, you don't, like, you know, or when do, you don't discount, like, Batman stories where he's Bruce Wayne and he's just, like, off, you know, training somewhere before he comes back to Gotham or something. I mean... Well, I, I, I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead, but I, I just like to point to a parallel. And, and you may think by issue number four, which gets the most crazy, Kirby, Morrison-y, blue cupcake-y of the bunch, like, because, you know, basically it seems like each issue escalates. And if you think issue one is too crazy for you, by the time you get to issue four, you may not even be able to comprehend what's going on. But... I, I think it's just a logical escalation. It's like, you know, every issue is like the transition between alien and aliens. It's like everything gets bigger and, and you use different characters. And I guess, I guess before I lose my train of thought going in a totally different direction, to me, you're starting from basically ground zero, you know, and you're building up the characters. So you don't start with Snake Eyes as a guy whose face has been damaged. He starts him as the guy with the face who hasn't been damaged, and through the course of the story, and trying to sort of impress Scarlet, and, you know, basically Scarlet has this kind of line about, you know, she's not going to go out on a date with Duke because, you know, there's all these evils in the world. There's terrorists like Cobra, and until that evil force is, is squashed, until it it has been, you know, eliminated. Like, she cannot live a normal life. You know, she can't just, you know, have kids and fall in love and, you know, things that, quote-unquote, normal people would do. And, you know, of course, you know, Duke and, and, and in some degree, Snake Eyes are both kind of horn-dogging for Scarlet. And, and it's like, Duke is kind of like, well, what can we do to have you change that, you know? And and what's funny is this conversation is going on. It's not like a Bendis thing where it's a bunch of talking heads and they're having this in-depth conversation. It's like bullets are flying and whizzing all over the place and people are getting killed and stuff. You know, Cobra Commander, which I, I wonder if this pissed off G.I. Joe guys. I did I did have a double take with when Cobra Commander, like, mowed down, like, Zap and Short Fuse and all the, like, old school uh, Joes and, like, one panel or whatever. But, like, all this crazy stuff 
is going on in the background, and Starlet's just basically like, hey, you know, the guy who murdered my parents and killed Snake Eyes' sister is running around free. And, you know, in some sense, that's a reference to the old-school G.I. Joe comics, because Snake Eyes' sister was killed in a car accident that Cobra Commander is basically directly responsible for. So so there is that kind of nod to the old Larry Hama comics or whatever, but they throw in this part about... I, I don't... I, I can't remember if the Scarlet thing is is some kind of canon or not, but I, I don't recall that. I remember in the cartoon, like, her dad was still alive, and I don't think they ever really touched on her mother. Like, she had, like, four brothers, because it was, like, this big Irish family or whatever. Um, but, so so basically, in this version, like, her parents are dead because of Cobra Commander, for whatever reason that's unspecified. And she says, look, whoever kills Cobra Commander, like, that's the, that's the dude I'm going to go on the date with. Like, that's the guy I'm going to marry. And so that's why these guys are hot horn dogging it to like try and take out Cobra Commander in the middle of this fight. And then you're like, well, how did the Transformers fit into it? And you've got like, you know, Bumblebee and Starscream still going after each other in the middle of this war zone. And Snake Eyes ends up running into Starscream and trying to like throw a grenade at him. And then Bumblebee lets him hop into this, you know, Volkswagen bug mode and they're like zooming away and Snake Eyes is like firing his Uzi and doing all kinds of cool stuff and trying to get out of get after um Cobra Commander. But the point is he eventually slays Cobra Commander with his his you know blade and um you know his sword. But in the process of doing that, Cobra Commander fires his pistol upwards in his face, effectively scarring and damaging his face. So it's not, you know, the quote-unquote traditional way that Snake Eyes originally became disfigured, but you you started at point A, and then you got to the point where you were sort of familiar with it. What about you? He doesn't speak. What? He doesn't say. He doesn't say. In that kind of story, I mean, you kind of have to start from the beginning. And I, I guess my jump to issue number four, which I did say was a little more crazier, and I guess we'll talk about that later, but the main thing I was going to draw a parallel to is, I, I know everybody on the show knows that I'm a huge fan of Rodimus Prime, and Rodimus does show up in issue number four, and he's actually kind of in a shit detail you know, Megatron is ruling Cybertron, and he's kind of in the dregs of Cybertron, cleaning up after all this crap in his little engine furnace room and everything like that. And even him and Blaster get into this altercation, you know, where it's almost like he's he's an Uncle Tom for the Decepticons in a way. You know, that's that's the, how he's portrayed. And you you could have that gut reaction of, oh man, I like Rodimus. Why isn't he cool in this? But there's got to be, just like Snake Eyes, you know, having that gut reaction to Snake Eyes' face not being disfigured, you know, you've got to work to that. I mean, there's there's illusions and elements that they throw in, you know, they, they call him the once and future king relating to Arthurian lore. So, you, you know, they're moving in that direction. And just because, you know, right from page one, he's not the character that you fell in love with or recognize doesn't mean they won't get you there in some kind of frenetic, interesting and engaging way. Yeah, I, def- I agree with pretty much everything you said, yeah. I mean, you got you got to start somewhere, and I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, I just thought it was an odd thing to complain about. It's like, you know... I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I like... 
you know, I'm not, I'm not such a slave to continuity. I mean, they, they basically tell you up front, like, this is its own little continuity. I mean, you could kind of feel the vibes of various eras of the different franchises coming into play from issue to issue. Like, in that way, it's a lot like, have you ever read the, um, the John Byrne Elseworlds where it's like Superman, Batman generations? Uh, no. It's it's kind of like a real-time version of Superman and Batman, so it's like they start in the 30s, and it's almost like the Golden Age Batman and the Golden Age Superman teaming up. But as the miniseries progresses from issue one to issue four, like, the decades progress, so it's almost like, you know, Batman has a son, and he carries on. But then that son gets killed, and he goes into the Lazarus pit, and Bruce Wayne becomes young again. And it's like, basically, it's like, what if you actually had to sort of follow these characters from decade to decade and they actually got older and, and different things changed throughout the course of the decades that you were reading them. So it's like you start in the 30s and then you jump to the 50s and then you look at them in the 70s and then, you know, by the end of it, it's like sort of the modern era of the the franchise. And, and I kind of feel that way from issue to issue with this because in the first issue, I mean, it does have that flavor of the early Larry Hama, like maybe the first, like, you know, 15 or so issues of G.I. Joe, where, you know, it's all the old school guys, like, you know, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Stalker, you know, Clutch, you know, those type of guys, with with a few new guys sprinkled in, you know, like they sprinkled in, like, Roadblock and Duke, you know, a little ahead of time to make them kind of like the old school crew, But, but even in this, you know, since this mission you know, they kind of refer to it as Duke's first big mission, like, and they kind of call him a rookie, like, he's a noob, he's a green guy, you know, so, and and some people, you know, they might be like, Duke's not a noob, he's the leader <laughs> of G.I. Joe, but it's like they're getting to that, by by issue number two, and, and then you start seeing all the guys from, like, season two, of G.I. Joe, where, like, Sergeant Slaughter and Serpentor were involved, e- even though they're not in the actual comic, you see guys like Beachhead and Lady J and Sci-Fi and, you know, all these kind of, like, third and fourth series G.I. Joes and, you know, Flint and, L- and Lady J and all that, and they're looking up to Duke now because he has been through the shit, you know, and it's like, oh, remember Duke told us about his first mission, and that was a doozy. You know, and it's like now they're in their doozy of a mission. So, I mean, you know, it's it, I, I, I enjoyed what I read. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. Like, I, I just the thing I love about this series is it seems like really approached from like the angle of almost like a child's like play box or, or, or like toy box and mm. like or a playpen. That's the word I want. Like sort of like a child's like. A, the logic of a child, basically, where, yeah, like, things, there's just so many cool concepts and, like, I, I don't know, weird, like, takes on things, like, like, Metroplex being, like, a roving city that, like, crawls across, like, Cybertron's surface, or, like, like even, like, crazy, like, the thing I love about, uh, I think it's in issue three, it's, like, the G.I. Joe's, like, well, first of all, like, in issue one, like, Hawk takes, a, like, a bullet to the shoulder, and he, like, he's wounded. So then in issue three opens up with Hawk's funeral, and, like, they say, like, oh, he passed away from gangrene. Like, that bullet wound, like, you know, got him, like, in the end. So you're like, okay, what? Like, and then it turns out the entire funeral is just, like, a huge trap 
because they expected Cobra and or the the Cobra Decepticon Alliance. The what is what are they called? Oh, like oh, Decepticon like, Cobra. Yeah, or whatever. Cobraopolis or something. Yeah, like yeah. It, and, right? Like they expected them to attack General Hawk's funeral. So it turns out like he's not really dead and like his coffin opens up and he's on like a, a motorcycle like made out of bumblebee and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, like it's the craziest ass th- stuff you could think of. It's and it, then it, it, and it's also like they uh, I don't want to get into like they took the best of all the different universes. But I, I don't know if it's the best, but it's like they, they took all these different elements from the different properties that occurred previously. So it's like you can just tell, like, Scioli just gets a kick out of Dr. Venom from the old, you know, Larry Hama comics. So it's like he's, like, this prominent douchebag in, like, every issue. And it's like he's he's working for Cobra, and then he kind of sneaks his way into working for G.I. Joe. But n- he, he's just still kind of a creep everywhere you see him, but but he's very slithery, you know, and, and goes back and forth. And then they've got, like, the, the vines from the second G.I. Joe miniseries, like, where there were those seeds that, like, Roadblock had to, like, chop his way out of in the original miniseries. And this becomes, like, this huge, gigantic plot point. Like, some throwaway little thing that was in the cartoon for, like, a few minutes where it's like, you know, I I forget what Roadblock's rhyme was, but it's like, these vines, man, they causing me to waste some time, or whatever the fuck (laughs) he said, you know, with the vines. And it's like this little one-off thing where eventually, you know, the sun came out, the vines dried up, and then it's like, oh, we're A-OK, yo, Joe. And they never came back into the cartoon ever again. But in this, like, they show up in this battle, and then after that, they G.I. Joe basically reverse-engineers Dr. Venom's technology and turns them into what they call green bombs, and they bomb the hell out of fucking Cybertron. Like, I mean, they, they by the third issue, they, they go, like, G.I. Joe goes to fucking Cybertron with the Defiant <laughs> Space Shuttle. I mean, you're talking about, like, a kid's logic and a kid's playpen. It's like, well, if you had the Defiant Shuttle, like, couldn't that shuttle just fly them to Cybertron? And you're like, yeah, why the fuck not? Like, you know, why why couldn't it do that? You know, and it's like, it's like just... space is no object. It's yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, we can, we can get to Cybertron. Like, it's no big deal. Like, you know, and it... I, there's something about that that's like it's it's like kind of cool, but then it kind of reminds me of like you, you know the kids you got pissed off at. Like I, I don't know if I, we've ever mentioned this on the podcast or not, but it's like the 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 way they they handled Snake Eyes is like he he shows up, you know, his face gets messed up. And then there is that weird Frank Miller-inspired homage where Scarlet's holding his hand and he's kind of got the bandages and he almost looks like, you know, Harvey Two-Face from from Dark Knight Returns or whatever. But then it's like, you know, this massive time jump by the second issue where he's just in his second ninja outfit and General Flag is like, stop feeling sorry for yourself, like, boo-hoo, whatever, like... You got to get back in the game, Snake Eyes. And then it's almost like he he tries to shoot Hawk, and he's pissed off at Starscream because he blames Starscream for Cobra Commander shooting him in the face. So much like Venom, like I guess Snake Eyes' toe was stubbed or whatever. Like he doesn't quite. It's like he killed the guy who really shot him in the face, but he still wants some vengeance. So it's like he 
drops a bunch of grenades in Starscream's face and screws up his face as payback. And then he somehow ends up working for Cobra. Like, I mean, at least, you know, we don't know if he's trying to pull a fast one or what, but it just, it reminds me of those things where you're like, okay, me and Mike are going to play G.I. Joe, and we're both like, you know, seven years old or whatever. And and it's like, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I'll be G.I. Joe. And Mike's like, well, I'll be Cobra. I'll be all the Cobras because they're cool looking. And I'll be Snake Eyes. And you're like, wait a minute, asshole. Like, you you can't be Snake Eyes, too. You know, like, that's not fair. It's like, I gotta be, you know, it's like that that kind of thing. So that that's what that moment kind of reminded me of, like, a throwback to that. It's almost like, like, like they were, the logic is, well, well, he has Snake in his name, so he should be with Cobra, like, sort of like that, yeah. like, like that weird logic. Like, I think I was joking with you earlier, like, anyone who's listened to our podcast know we have a thing called Secret Brothers, where anyone, any two characters who have something in common might be Secret Brothers, but, like, in 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 this series, like, it's revealed that Soundwave and Shockwave are brothers because they both have Wave yeah. in their name. they're, they're, so part, like of the, they're part of the Wave family. Yeah. And, and, so and it's like, Shockwave yeah. uh, uh, basically abandons his logical nature when his brother Soundwave, you know. I, I was like, I, I was trying to think of, like, who else has, like, Wave in their name, you know. I was like, I was like, wait. Does does uh, Shockwave from GI Joe get named after Shockwave from the Transformers in this? Maybe you know, like <laughs> who knows? Like, but yeah, yeah, that is that that, that is kind of funny. Like where you just like, oh yeah, of course they're brothers because they both have they both have Wave for the last name. Soundwave, did Shockwave make a joke back there? Of course not. Was it intentional? Of course not. Now Soundwave, you become quite conversational. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think all that stuff is pretty interesting. I mean, and, and the, the idea that there there are these, you know, kind of like the whole alien to aliens escalation. You know, it's like you, you have kind of this almost final awesome battle between G.I. Joe and Cobra in the first issue. And then, you know, Cobra Commander gets killed, you know, and you're like, where could you go from there? And it's like there's more stuff to go from. It, it's kind of like... It, somehow, it's really weird. Like the reason why Jack Kirby was so awesome was because he pulled all this stuff out of his ass. Like Kirby was just as frenetic and had all these awesome characters and concepts, but he sort of created all those on his own, almost. You know, and and in this case, it's like, well, you know, Scioli and Barber are not creating these concepts, you know, but they they are sort of researching and pillaging from the various histories of these properties and presenting them in such a frenetic way that you, you get to relive and have some sense of nostalgia if you're an old fan. Um, but it's not going to be... It, it will never be dull or boring because by the time you get to the second issue and the third issue, he's already moved on. Like, he, he basically, if, if you got the moment with Snake Eyes and the Sky Striker and all this other cool stuff, but by the second issue, you know, you're, you're already dealing with, like, a whole different set of Transformers. You know, you're dealing with the, you know, Soundwave and Shockwave, the Wave Brothers, you know? You're dealing with the cassette tapes, you know? And then, and then by the third issue, which is something that I thought was a pretty awesome moment, is you've got almost this, uh, you know, Beast Wars 2 movie 
moment where, you know, Trypticon shows up on Cybertron, and it's the quote-unquote home of Megatron. And Megatron's throne is, like, right down Trypticon's mouth. And Trypticon's mouth opens up, and who flies out but fucking Cyclonus and Scourge? And I was just like, wow, this is... I don't know, like, for me, like, that was a big, cool moment where, you know, you're, you're just like, anything can happen in this thing, you know? I like also in that same issue where, like, they they report, uh, Scourge and Cyclonus bring, like, some Autobot prisoners back to Megatron, and Megatron just executes Scourge, like, right on the spot. Oh, yeah. For yeah. just, like, you know, it was like, don't waste my time with, like, you know, Autobots, they're already conquered, you know, like... I, I think people have compared Megatron in this series to sort of like Darkseid almost. Mm. Like he sits on a throne, you know, obviously the Kirby influence, but he yeah, sits on yeah. a throne. He's got a fucking necklace of Bumblebee's head, head. because, yeah, yeah, Bumblebee was murdered by Starscream in the first issue. And, yeah, it's just like he kind of sits on his throne and doles out, you know, punishment or, you know, praise or whatever. And then, I mean, you know, at this point, like, since we're on Cybertron, I guess, you know, the, the, the part that I guess might be another thing for fans to sort of, you know, sort of wrap their heads around is, you know, in, in this continuity, you know, Prime was the Autobot leader, but he's, you know, for undisclosed reasons, he's, he's not on Cybertron. You know, the insinuation is that Megatron beat him in some kind of battle and he left Cybertron. You know, from, from say, you know, the interim leader of the Autobot, Grimlock's perspective, you know, it's kind of a callback to the King Grimlock from the old Marvel comics. But, I mean, from his perspective, Prime's a coward. But, you know, from from our perspective, you know, Grimlock's running the Autobots. They're not exactly doing too good. You know, they're they're sort of in hiding. You know, they you know, when when Scourge picks up all those Autobots, it's like he, he basically says, hey, Megatron, we got these guys from the Autobot ghettos. You know, so they're not exactly living large. It's like the, the city of Iacon gets green bombed by G.I. Joe and they kind of think of it as this you know, strategic point of importance. And to most Transformers fans, they'd say, oh, yeah, well, Iacon's the capital city, you know. But the Autobots are in such dishevelment. You know, the, the capital city isn't what it once was. You know, nobody lives there. There's no energy there. It's not a point of strategic importance any longer, you know, because Megatron could give two craps about it. So, you know, at that point, you you just kind of realize, well, you know, a lot of the things that you may already know about Transformers lore is sort of turned on its head, you know, and, and, and even, I guess, the nature of the morality, you know, like when they capture Wheeljack and they're basically just going to dissect him, you know, because they don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy or what, like from their perspective, you know, all these robots landed on the planet and they said, hey, look, uh, we offer you an olive branch in peace. And Ravage is just like, peace? I think what you mean is surrender. And Hawk's like, we don't fucking do surrender, you fucking asshole. You know, so it, I think it's an interesting take on it, especially if you're familiar with both properties. I mean, there's lots of, I mean, it, it, it'd be it'd be kind of impossible to do it justice in, in kind of the podcast that we're kind of throwing out here. But there's so many different like little nods and Easter eggs to different characters and films and comics and movies and and things like that you know the tv show so 
you were talking like about an escalation from issue to issue. Like, well, from like the the first issue we, where we get a, a a busy but pretty straightforward battle between like GI Joe and Cobra with like Starscream and Bumblebee thrown in the middle. Then you go to issue four and you've got the friggin' like GI Joe pets versus like yeah. a crazy Halloween themed October guard. Yeah, it, like at that point, I was I was basically just laughing my ass off. I was yeah. like, I was like, this is, this is pretty awesome. Like, I mean, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's like the, 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 if you like something like the pet Avengers, this moment where they basically they're, you know, they've sent the, the defiant with all these Joes to Cybertron, but now they're sending follow up like backup shuttles out there. And one of these shuttles is, is basically the captain of the fucking shuttle is shipwrecks fucking parrot. Like, I mean, it's just like, how I mean, if you can't if you can't chuckle at that and appreciate that, like I don't I don't know if there's any hope for you because it's just like it's crazy. It's 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 blue cupcakey. It's Morrison. It's Kirby like on steroids or something. Where it's just there's all these ideas like just thrown at you, and then you're already moving on to the next idea. Like that's what they're trying to capture. And I think I think he succeeds. You know, especially given the context of the universe. You know, and 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 you're looking around like these are all. I mean, it's not like they just made them up either. Like they're all real GI Joe pets. Like, you know, it's, 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 you know, Law and Order, his dog, you know, Mutton Junkyard. And then there was the, the guy with his bobcat. I, I don't know. I can't remember the guy's name or whatever, but he, he had a bobcat. And then there was like the, the spirit had his eagle freedom. So like, and then, and then the, the, uh, warthog is from the, the, I guess the, uh, you know, if you're talking about like Power Rangers terminology, it's like the sixth quote-unquote dreadnought, you know, Nagahide, and Nagahide had this warthog, and they even have this little comment on his introduction, you know, his little Claremont, you know, file card, which says he was liberated, you know, so basically, like, they, <laughs> they saved this, this warthog from Cobra, and now he's, he's fighting the good fight in outer space, in a fucking space shuttle, fighting <laughs> against uh, the October Guard, and instead of them being based on the October Guard of, you know, what you would normally know as, like, you know, being these Russian commie, you know, uh, uh, nemeses for, for G.I. Joe, it's like, it's a very, um, it, it's a literal Halloween-themed, you know, spaceship that's coming out at these other Joe spaceships because they, they immediately recognize, well, wait, these aren't Cybertronian symbols. These are symbols from Earth. And there are all these weird jack-o'-lanterns that are painted on the spaceship and everything like that. That is certainly a departure. Like, it's not really a nod. I mean, it's a nod in the sense of who they are, but that basically is your... You know, your new 52 reimagining of the October Guard, basically. <laughs> like, that's what that is. And it's like... It's not. It's not enough that these two like w completely off the wall groups fight. Then like they get eaten by Fortress Maximus. Yeah. Like, did you, who, did you, who is described as like a living prison, basically. Yeah. Did you notice how the October Guard had all those Action Master pets too with them or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, like the, it's like there's they're sort of like that weird tie-in with with Transformers as well, you know, keeping with the theme, you know, of the the comic. But yeah, that's. That was a pretty crazy comic, and 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 again, uh, like at this point, we do get to the scene with you know, uh, I guess Hot Rod, you know, is is uh, chucking all these things in the furnace and stuff like that, and and you would think I would you know 
be like, I hate this. But, you know, like I said, you've got to have some place to start and some place to go. And especially given his, his introduction and his little file card where they refer to him as the once and future king, like, I sort of have faith. Like, I have faith that that's going to be paid off later, you know? And, 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 you know, just the idea that they spent so much time with, like, General Flag in this comic book, you know? Like, that. I mean, that's almost... Like, I, I always get bent out of shape when they don't give Hawk enough due time, you know? And it's, like, much less General Flag. So I, I think it's cool that they spend so much time on, on some of these characters. Yeah, definitely. And I guess we should mention, like, the, the cliffhanger for the last issue or for the fourth issue is, like, Duke uh, in Snake... Well, Duke has infiltrated Cobra, and he, he finds Snake Eyes there, and, like, since they all figure, you know, Snake Eyes to be a traitor, he gets into a fight with Snake Eyes, and they fall through, like, a portal, and, like, in Limbo, they find Optimus Prime, but Optimus Prime is sort of, like, I don't know, like, sort of mutated into this weird, like, chimera of his, like, trailer and his, like, main robot mode, like, like... I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it like it it seems like like Scioli took like Optimus Prime's what do they call it like his combat deck or whatever and like made it into some kind of weird monster or something. Mm. Yeah, I just kind of took it as they were they were going through that portal that Destro went through where they were all getting fried except for Destro, which is another funny kind of moment of the what you're calling like the child's logic it's like well if cobra commander's dead it's like who's in charge and then you know immediately you see destro talking to a shadowy figure and you're like well yeah like if cobra commander's not around who did we as kids think was the coolest guy who should be in charge was destro so it's like destro's there in some kind of leadership capacity but then in the background like you see something that kind of looks like serpentor but you're not sure and then eventually like you, you kind of see it's it's more of a female form and i think in the commentary they they referred to the character as like uh, Serpentoress or something like that, which, you know, is sort of like this amalgamation of the Baroness and Serpentor. So I'm assuming, you know, Baroness somehow survived the the death in the the first issue, or, or maybe she was she was genetically recreated with the minds of the world's greatest leaders or something. Like some something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean I, I'm, I, I'm sure it'll be revealed yeah soon. You probably. know, so there's there's those aspects of it too that are that are pretty fun and entertaining. And and it, it was kinda interesting that like Megatron and Destro both sorta you know, had this bro, like we're bros moment or whatever. You yeah, know they, like, they kinda people, saw eye people, to eye. Yeah, people, like, have commented, like, on how much, like, sense that really makes, like, you know, obviously, like, on the the simplest level, you know, Destro's got a, like, silver, like, face mask, and Megatron's mostly, like, silver, but, you know, Destro's an arms dealer, and Megatron turns into a gun, mm. and, and they both deal with, like, the incompetence of Chris Lotta, like, <laughs> on a daily basis, basically, so... So they, they, they know where each other is coming from. Militarily speaking, it's only fair to say that Cobra Commander is a world-class buffoon. You fool, Starscream! I'm some sort of fantasy! I will survive! I like, it's kind of like, you know, the, the narration describes uh, Destro as, like, meeting his, like, 
Avatar and Megatron or, or Destro being like Megatron's if Megatron is a god then like Destro is like his earthly avatar almost yeah so like yeah. I thought that that was a really cool like uh and powerful like image almost the other thing I, that might be worth discussing is some of the alternate covers like cuz the like the series has a, quite a few of them. I mean, a lot of them are still from Tom Scioli, and I, I think one thing that, despite what anybody's criticism of the style might be, he does have a wonderful grasp of uh, perspective. You know, because th- there are various scales in this book, and and I think they all come across like fairly well. I mean, he, he goes out of his way to, you know, they, they called it the uh, the Gulliver's Wheeljack, you know, when all the Joes kind of <laughs> tie up Wheeljack and, and almost, you know, end up dissecting them or whatever. And, you know, the scale of the Joes versus Wheeljack is very well done. You know, they've got things like when Devastata forms versus the Joes, or when Devastata is next to Trypticon, and and how those two compare, and then, you know, Metroplex versus Fortress Maximus, you know, in terms of scale, and, like, there's all those kind of aspects to it, and and then the reason why I brought up the, the alternate covers is, there, there's some different artists that, that work on it, but the, the, the person you have to bring up, like, you, you just have to talk about it, is they let Rob Liefeld do some alternate <laughs> covers, and you, you just have to talk about that, because it's like, who, like, just in terms of comparison, it's like, it's like, who could you think of that could be worse at scale than Rob Liefeld, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just it's just really funny, like because there there are those some of them. Are, it's just like a cover with like Scarlet, or like there's this funny cover where it's like Snake Eyes, and I don't know, he's just trying to show off his cod piece or whatever because he's he's doing like the Spider Man like knee split or whatever, and then there's this kind of goofy overshadow of Prime in the background or whatever. But like, that's, I, that's the one where it, it, I know the one you're talking about. It, it looks like Snake Eyes has like no crotch or yes, something. Yes, like, like there's something wrong with him. Like, like he, he, it's like it's like you're actually he's actually like showing you his his ass crack or something I don't know <laughs> mid leap or something I don't know what's going on there but but um yeah I mean that, that you know for Liefeld it's awesome but like you know it's 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 it it's just one of those things where I'm I'm thinking like well you got to appreciate the fact that Scioli has this this wonderful sense of scale with all the different characters and then speaking of that you know there are these almost I don't know, dare I say, like, Tolkien maps of, like, the way Cybertron looks and how it's ever-evolving and ever-changing, like, with the green bombs making all these kind of organic Savage Land patches on Cybertron, and then there's, like, the area that, you know, Fortress Maximus inhabits, and then there's the, the... place where Hot Rod is, where all these, like, engine fumes and everything, and how, basically, you know, they kind of describe it as the North Pole of Cybertron is just basically this giant melting pot that's basically like, you know, all the fire pits of Apocalypse are at the North Pole, basically, you know, in, in Kirby speak, you know? And and then, you know, you've got like, you know, just it, it's just all mapped out the way the planet is. And then at the bottom in the South Pole, like, there's all these little stumps. And I started thinking, like, what if, like, that grows into, like, you know, legs or something you know like i was like starting to think like are they gonna have them be like primus or something and like no no what i was actually thinking um 
the two like mountains that yeah come up and curve out like on the bottom of Cybertron, they started to remind me of Unicron's like horns. Oh, his horns. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I heard that uh, mentioned on the the wiki too. Like people were speculating that it was Unicron's horns and stuff. I guess I guess I was looking at it like strictly from like a. I don't know what the right word is, like a personified point of view. I was like looking at it like a human figure with like the, the fire pistol, yeah. like the head. And then I was like, oh, maybe those things will grow into like legs or something. But, you know, yeah, you guys could be right, too. Like it may it may end up being like, you know, the, those are Unicron's horns or whatever. And, and the, oh. the fire pits like propel him or whatever. There is there is that uh, moment in the fourth issue where uh Bazooka like chews on some like of Cybertron's like techno organic like plant life and like proceeds to like get stoned out of his mind <laughs> and he has like a vision of Primus yeah, and yeah. stuff so you know yeah you, that that definitely uh, has like has legs I'll say it's, that idea has legs too it's yeah. it's weird though like some of it's like they try to no prize like cartoon and comic continuity because like I'm a big fan of Lieutenant Falcon just like I'm a fan of you know Hot Rod Rodimus Prime it's like the same kind of archetype basically but it's like it's funny to me because they try to reconcile like his file card and his name with like the cartoon continuity which basically says that he's Duke's half-brother so it's like I like how when they introduce him it's like Falcon Duke's little brother, or no, they they actually say like Duke's little Italian brother, you know, and it's like funny because it's like he's like, hey, like like uh, my big bro wants me to like blow up these robots or whatever, you know, and it's just like it just cracked me up. Like they're just basically like it doesn't matter that it probably doesn't make sense. I I think the half brother thing excuses it, but like it's just funny that like they're just like yeah, we're going with like what we sort of like and, and remember, and we're just kind of, you know, fusing it all together in this kind of melting pot, you know. I always used to think that Falcon was Hawk's little brother, just because Falcon and Hawk. Oh, uh, like, okay. But, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I don't know where I got that, because I, I did see the movie, but I, I was like, oh, that only makes sense to me. But, maybe maybe but that it, would be more of that, that children's logic that would... Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, sound wave, shockwave, or brothers, you know, like that kind of thing. I don't know. I, I was looking, like, on uh, Tom, like, Scioli posts, like, you know, sketches and stuff of his, on his, like, his blog, or, like, they, they post, we've seen some, like, preview art from, like, uh, future issues and whatnot, and it kind of looks like like they're gonna have things like like Doctor Venom becoming like like they have sound waves like headless body in the base so like Doctor Venom's gonna become like Soundwave's headmaster or uh, something. Okay, okay. And, I uh, mean, it seems like a natural that they would eventually evolve and escalate to you know just like the toy line escalated like from from line to line like you you might go through escalations from issue to issue you know until they. I guess until they run out of things to escalate to, but you know, I, I doubt they will. But who knows? Maybe Doctor Venom will be like a, uh, he'll, he'll turn into like a Beast Machine or something eventually or whatever. Yeah, well, well, I was thinking with all like the techno organic vegetation on Cybertron now that that, that was kind of like a thing. They, they they were also mentioning like there's a drawing of Megatron and it's like Tom Scioli like says that Megatron has a black hole for a heart. And I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of like, not only is that sort of like a, you know, a Kirby-esque thing, <laughs> yeah. like, 
it's like a callback to his like tech specs where it says he can summon like antimatter from a black hole. You know, there, there's that, and then there's also like the whole literal and figurative thing, and how it's like both of them are true. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's like you black-hearted black hole son of a bitch, you know, type thing. But then it's like he literally has a black hole for a heart, you know. Yeah. Like, so yeah, that's pretty. That's cool. pretty freaking awesome. Um, I was gonna say, um, back back to the Liefeld cover. Like the thing that, that like Snake Eyes is funny, but the thing that made me like kind of groan the most was like, think like I I think I typed this in the the thread on Bot Talk, but I was like, man, Liefeld, like, couldn't you even make Scarlet like look in the direction she's shooting? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's just like running forward and looking forward, but her gun's like shooting off to the side, like so. The, the only the the, the uh, there were a lots of weird things in issue number four, but one of the things that and and this is this is not a knock. It just goes to show like how many different uh, characters and and uh, obscure minutia they're willing to cover. But what I thought was kind of hilarious was like Psych Out has like a little monologue and basically he's categorized as a scientist and he's actually, you know, going to the North Pole of Cybertron on a mission for Scarlet, who's, you know, led this mission on the Defiant to Cybertron to, you know, actually do the, you know, the frontline assault on the planet and everything like that. But to me, like Psych Out, and this will make sense to longtime listeners, I'm like, Psych Out's like the Dr. Bashir of fucking G.I. Joe. I'm kind of like, when I read that, I was like, what? What are, we, what are we spending so much time with Psych Out for? I'm like, what a loser. <laughs> like, you know, he's got like fucking satellite dishes on his wrists. Like, come on, he's not a G.I. Joe. <laughs> like, I mean, if there's anybody that's lamer than Lifeline and is hippie pacifist bullshit, it's got to be fucking psych out, you know? So I was just like, what? But I mean, but that, that, that is basically like the, the epitome of, of all the different uh, depths they're willing to go to, you know, where, where they've got action master, like little robots that are with the October guard and all the pets. And it's just like, you know, very, very in-depth, you know, I mean, you you can tell, I mean, there there's lots of research done and lots of love put into this, like, obviously there's, there's, there's things that have a flair of nostalgia, and there's things that you can just tell, like, there are things he read in the Hammer run, maybe recently, where he's like, that's really good, like, I'm gonna use this stuff in our series, you know, and it's like, well, you know, you can't fault the guy for pulling from, from some cool concepts and cool ideas, especially when they work for his, you know, their, their storyline or whatever. I am in full agreement. How much, I mean, it, it seems like John Barber, I, at least in the, the little uh, commentary interviews in the back, it seems like he, he is tr- at least trying to present himself as just a guy going along with the Tom Scioli roller coaster ride, you know, like, I mean, do you, do you think there's things where he just tries to keep the roller coaster on the tracks or like, I mean, are there, like, cause I know you're kind of like a big fan of Barber, you know, in terms of the Transformers stuff he's written, like, do you, in all this Scioli madness, you know, this kind of Kirby Morrison-y blue cupcake-y craziness, like, do you, do you see things that are signature Barber within there? I I would say that like he's a I, he is a like continuity like porn enthusiast like he he loves 
keeping everything straight and you know he 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 is not afraid of continuity so i would imagine like a lot of suggestions like for maybe characters or or situations might come from him like okay. at least or at least you know like you know you could see like guys like straxus in megatron's court okay. you know okay. like straxus darkwing uh, like even like Armada Demolisher, is yeah, like yeah, was one, one of those one of the Decepticons like yeah. roaming around. So, like, I I think yeah, like maybe I I would definitely say this is mostly like Skioli's child, but I I think like Barber probably either uh, like you know I'm sure he co-writes some scenes, but it maybe maybe he helps it keep it yeah focused. I would say okay, yeah. I mean I I, I don't have much more to say in terms of uh, kind of how we're approaching this. Like I did. I did enjoy it. I, I, I feel like I got to sort of elaborate on all the little beats that, that really, really stood out to me. Um, but, uh, I mean, if, is there anything else that you'd like to sort of go into before we wrap it up, Mike? No, I'll just say for, like, final thoughts, it's, like, it's a really fun comic. Like, when I when I first saw, like, the preview art for it and stuff, I was, like, I was kind of, like, I don't know, like... I don't like. I, I was like, maybe you try. You're trying too hard to be like a, as we like to say, like avant-garde mm, or, or mm, like okay. like cool and stylized. But yeah, like you said, there's so much like joy and like care put into it, and it it, it just it's just so fun, you know, to read, and it, it it really does give me that feeling of a kid playing in a in, in his like sandbox, and like I like that feeling. And, you know, I'll, I'll continue to read this like eagerly. Yeah, because in, in along those lines, I mean, you, you, it's hard. You, I mean, you never get bored because it's kind of like if the kid gets bored with some toys, like he goes back in the toy box and pulls out some more. You know, like that's that's kind of how this is. It's like you you just keep keep going with all the different characters, and if there's characters he's got his favorites, like yes, they they kind of stick around, like Snake Eyes and Duke and Scarlet and everything, but then. You know, there's there's other like we said. You know, you want to mess around with Psych Out for a little bit, and you want to mess around with Chuckles and Falcon. You throw them in there, but before we had guys like Gung Ho and Tomax and Zaymont, and you know these great little asides with Major Blood, where he's got both of his eyes and his arm, and by the end of it, they've mowed down so many Cobra troops. He's like, oh, my arm is gone and my eye is poked out, and he's he's rhyming because they. On the file card, they talk about how he's this lousy ass, you know, uh, William the Bloody style poet, you know, and so you know, there's all kinds of great things like that. So, yeah, I I, I think it's a great book, and um, you know, if if you were interested or intrigued by any of Mike's and my discussion, we wholeheartedly recommend you give it a shot. I mean, you know, like like we said, it may not be your bag, it may not be your thing, but you know, it, it's I think it's our thing. I'd say I'd say it's safe to say. I mean, it's it's a fun fun little book bag, what, you know. If you if the child inside you is not dead yet, you'll enjoy <laughs> this. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that that's a good way. Hang on to your dreams, Chip. The future is built on dreams. Hang on. So yeah, if if your child's not dead, check it out, 
and uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Transformers Tuesdays on the Fanholes Podcast. We are on Stitcher Radio. We are on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes. We appreciate all the likes and reviews and everything, all the feedback. So uh, and and all the listens. You know, I mean, you may not want to leave any feedback, but we do appreciate the download and the listen. So until the next time, until the next Transformers Tuesdays. This is going to be Derek, Derek WC with a black hole for a heart, signing off. This is Mike, and uh, today, salvation is a gold bug. Gold bug! Peace! flag would be like war no no it'd be like uh, ravage would be like we prefer surrender yeah you have a better we, word. Per- uh, uh, we prefer surrender <laughs> i like when ravage is like you know you i offered you peace and you ran me over with your car yeah <laughs>